Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes, and it will shock everyone, Steve, to know that we're talking about Donald Trump. He so rarely makes our national conversations these days. You know, on the one on the one hand, you hate to talk about him as much. On the other hand, he's you know he's at thirty plus percent in the polls. He's the Republican front runner, and we're less than two months from from votes in Iowa. And how do you not talk about someone who's running for president, has widespread support, and is bats not crazy all at the same time? And that's where I am. I'm just, I'm, I've and now moved. And banning an entire <laughs> class of people based on their religion. Uh, and so that really is the question is, what, where, what, what does this say about the Republican Party and the Republican coalition that a significant number of people, and it's not a majority by any stretch, but it's not insignificant, it's not the David duke size crowd, is not just standing by but cheering a guy who says, here on a country founded on religious liberty, that was our very first principle, we are going to turn away all people, immigrants and tourists, based on religion. Well, I mean, I think the first thing, you have to say, I mean, particularly if you've been a part of the conservative movement for 20, 25 years and you're familiar with the founding and the principles of the founding, you have to say it's thoroughly discouraging um, that that you have people pointed to Donald Trump as a credible person on, on something like this. When you propose banning people based on their religion, um, you know, particularly coming off of the, the freedom of religion debates that we've just had with the Obama administration um, in the context of Obamacare and, and you know, these other issues right. to have some Republicans and conservatives now embrace Trump's call to ban Muslims. And he's sort of moderated that call a little bit uh, over the past 12 hours, but that was the call, a total ban on Muslims. You know, actually, he really hasn't. He really hasn't moderated it, other than saying that if you're an American citizen already and you leave, like, to go on vacation or something, he'll let you back in. So you, you won't be stuck in Cancun, you know, which after was, your vacation. Which is different, which is different than what his, his spokesman was saying exactly. last night. He also said that he would allow reentry for Muslim American service members who are serving mm-hmm. overseas. He's very generous of of Donald Trump. But look, I mean, I think that, that to answer your question directly, it's just very discouraging. It's incredibly discouraging that people are, are, you know, taking him seriously or supporting his proposal. And on the other hand, you know, you, you have to address the proposal on its merits. I mean, this is one of the sort of, uh, I don't even know what to call it, the dilemmas, the conundrums of, of the Donald Trump phenomenon is you have somebody who makes, you know, a, a proposal that is on its face outrageous and it's not enough to just say it's outrageous. It's not enough to just say Donald Trump isn't serious. You actually have to go through the trouble of explaining why this is inconsistent with our entire history, why it's unworkable. I mean, you have to actually walk people through it, which, again, that's, that in and of itself is also discouraging. You mentioned also that uh, uh, there have been some Muslim members of the military who've made the ultimate sacrifice in, in, in Donald Trump's vision of the world. They are suspect citizens who uh, you know, should be treated differently from their fellow Americans. Well, and I go back exactly right. I mean, I, I, I tweeted out um, one of them who was killed in Iraq in 2004, received a Purple Heart. Um, I go back and I think of my own experience in reporting on intelligence, national security matters, and, and the number of Muslim Americans that I have dealt with over the years uh, as sources who, you know, are, are not bystanders in the war on terror, but are actively helping us win the war on terror by contributing 
their uh, abilities, their skills for translation purposes. Uh, you know, when I went over for the Iraq War in March of 2003, I was embedded with a group of Iraqi Americans, vast majority of them Muslims, uh, who were Americans. Uh, they signed up to serve alongside U.S. soldiers uh, in order to liberate uh, Iraq. They fought. They were willing to die in, in some cases. Um, and, and I just think, you know, Trump would would ban them or maybe in his his now newly sort of softened version of this, they would have some ability to come and go. But I mean, just what what it does, those are exactly the kind of people that we need to enlist in order to win this war beyond just the war on the battlefield, but the broader war. And we don't need only to enlist them here at home to help make arguments against jihadists, against Islamic radicals. But you need them in the region. I mean, think of the surge as sort of the perfect example. I mean, the United States surged troops to Iraq. We made it clear that the jihadists weren't going to win. But one of the most important components of that was the Anbar Awakening, in which moderate Sunnis, in some cases less than moderate Sunnis, teamed up with the United States because they thought that it was important that we win in Iraq. And they didn't want Iraq to go the way of the jihadists. And it was one of the reasons that the surge was so successful. The, the goal in the war on terror is basically to take that model and extrapolate it, to, to, to work with the moderates, to work with people who are at the very least not hostile to, to the United States, to Western democracy, to liberalism, and empower them. And the message that Trump is sending, just the opposite. It seeks to tar all Muslims uh, and suggest that they're all radicals or potential radicals in a way that I think is unhelpful uh, here in the United States and certainly unhelpful in the broader global war uh, against the jihadist movement. You know, one of the things I've been trying to point out to people is that Trump is a creation of the Republican establishment and the Obama administration, people intentionally being obtuse, pretending that they don't understand the real problem, for example, of immigration, amnesty, open borders, to pretending they don't understand that there's a unique problem inside of Islam that involves terror. But uh, so I've been trying to not cut him some slack, but rather trying to create this psychic space that this is why he's there. But now that he's gone so against the fundamental principles of America. Is there some duty on Republicans to do anything? Or, or particularly given that we see a new poll, 68% of his supporters say that if he ran as a third party against the Republicans and the Democrats, that they'd go with him, which means, of course, we'll all be watching Hillary Clinton inaugurated in 2017. Yeah, I, I do think there's an obligation on the part of Republicans, office holders or conservative intellectuals or, uh, you know, media types, commentators, to make very clear that this is a repugnant idea, that it does go against you know, basic American deals, the founding precepts of the country, and to say so in an unambiguous way. And, you know, to the extent that people are unwilling to do to do that, I think it's, it's really disappointing. If, if you sort of play games with Donald Trump or you evaluate his proposal without passing judgment, you describe his proposal instead of judging it and dismissing it or arguing against it. I, I do think it's incumbent on people to do two things. One, you have to acknowledge and, and label it as nonsense, as inanity. But then you do have to make a substantive argument. And I understand people who don't want to take the time to do it because, you know, you're arguing in something that is, I think, 
you know, it, it's right. so manifestly preposterous that you don't want to take the time to do it. I think you need to take the time to do it. And uh, but but I do think that as a party that Republicans should make clear that Trump is not speaking for the party, even if he's speaking for a slice of its voters. OK, let me ask you if uh, finally, here, Steve, the million dollar question. Literally, if you paid somebody a million dollars to try to hurt the GOP brand and get Hillary Clinton elected, what would they be doing that Donald Trump isn't already doing for free? <laughs> that is a good question. I really don't know. I mean, you know, he's insulting. He's insulting individuals. He's making sweeping generalizations about uh, Muslims, about Mexicans, uh, about any number of, of classes, demographic groups. You know, there's the opportunity the cost. States. We could be talking more about President Obama's terrible ISIS strategy, about the failed exactly. speech Sunday no, night. Was, we could be talking exactly about all that, and now it's been absorbed. It, this is a brilliant blocking move for an ally of Hillary Clinton, if that were the case. I'm not saying it is. I'm simply saying that's how it works out. The big winner here yeah. is Hillary Clinton. No, that's, that's exactly what I was going to I mean, think about where we were 24 hours ago in our national discussion. The president had just given a debate, a speech about ISIS that uh, sort of triggered yet another round of this national debate that we've been having over his approach to the war on terror, what he calls George Bush's boundless war on terror, something that he has sought to end. You had virtual unanimity among Republicans and Republican office holders, Republican presidential candidates, that Obama's speech was bad, that his approach to this is, is not working. You had nervousness, I would say, among Democrats, um, who, some of whom encouraged the president to speak because they're facing competitive elections in 2016. Hillary Clinton was seeking to create distance between herself and her candidacy and the president and his approach to these issues. Um, after hugging him on virtually every other issue, you had a, a scenario in which clearly Republicans were on the offense politically because the president's been such a manifest failure on these issues. And now what you have Donald Trump doing is, in effect, affirming President Obama's straw man argument about Republicans. You know, the president spent, what, the, the last half of his speech worrying about Islamophobia here, worrying about a backlash. You had his attorney general, Loretta Lynch, saying that her greatest fear was a backlash against Muslims in the United States. And here you have Donald Trump saying, you know, in effect, we have to hold suspect all Muslims in the country. It's just even if you understand the, the problems within Islam, even if you want to take a very aggressive approach to target radical Islam. It's just not a sensible proposal to target all Muslims. And Trump has, by making that proposal, I think has given the Democrats the biggest political gift he could possibly give them. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.